0: Our scripture today is Romans 12, 9 through 13. Um, And if you want a physical Bible, just raise your hands and the ushers will bring you one. Uh, And in that Bible, it's page 775. Love must be sincere. Hate what is evil. Cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in love. Honor one another above yourselves. Never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. Share with the Lord's people who are in need. Practice hospitality. Awesome. Thank you so much, Lauren. Uh, It's good to be with you. Happy Labor Day weekend to you all. Hope you're able to enjoy the the longer weekend. Uh, I'm excited today to continue the series that we kicked off last week, this vision series we've been in, that we're calling DNA. DNA. Like What's the DNA of current? What makes current, current? And so we've been looking at our vision and and values. Uh, Last week, we kicked things off looking actually at the text where we get our name, so why we call ourselves current, and then two values around and associated with with that text, namely that we want to be a community that's accessible and we want to be a community that's outward focused. Uh, Today, we're going to look at two more of our values, uh, specifically looking in at Romans chapter 12. Uh, Romans chapter 12 is a very important chapter in in the Bible. It's it's extremely important. Uh, It's an extremely important chapter and an extremely important book of the Bible. Uh, Romans has been described by many biblical scholars to be, quote, the chief among the the epistles. So the chief among the letters written by Paul that we have recorded in the New Testament. It's been called the treatise of of the gospel. Uh, And in some ways, you could actually say that Romans, uh, it's hard to use the word best when you're talking about all of God's word, but best summarizes and explains the entirety of the scriptures. I mean, that's the book of Romans. And here we are looking at Romans chapter 12, a very important chapter in this very important book. And what's important to understand is, in Romans chapter 12, there's a bit of a shift in this really important book. And that shift is, in chapters 1 through 11, Paul is describing the theological, So, all that God has done for people, for for humankind. Now, starting in Romans chapter 12, he shifts into okay, if this is who God is and this is what he's done, here's what it means for us by way of response. Okay, and actually, Romans chapter 12, verse 1, which wasn't read earlier begins with the word, therefore. I mean, that word is just pivoting everything. If this is who God is, and this is what he's done. This, therefore, is what we ought to do about it. This is how we ought to live in response. And the first part of Romans chapter 12, the first few verses, touches upon our vertical relationship with God. But then Paul immediately shifts to talking about our horizontal relationships, which we're going to see here in, in the text that was read starting in, in, in verse 9. And so uh, what we're going to do today is look at two very important values of ours as, as a church here at Current. And uh, we see them very clearly, it seems to me, in this text. But we're also going to see, just frankly, two values that any and every Christian ought to have. I mean, it's just, it's just that important. So let me pray, and then we'll, we'll look at these together. Father, uh, thank you for uh, another Sunday on this holiday weekend where we can just come before you, worship you freely, in this place, and and turn now to your word. Father, would you please give us your spirit to understand what it is you have in front of us, individually and as a church. Lord, we don't want our vision to be our vision. We want the vision uh, that we have to be the one that you've given us, but please help us in all that. We ask in Christ's name, amen. All right, so Paul begins in this section verse 9, Romans chapter 12, verse 9, with love must be sincere, okay? Love must be sincere. And really, this is probably the theme verse for what follows next in these horizontal relationships that we have. Love must be sincere. Uh, Our value, just to kind of pull it out, is we aim to be a community that's authentic, okay? We want to be a community that's authentic. Love must be sincere. Uh, the, The verse here in the original language is really helpful and illuminating, So when it says love must be sincere, this word love is the Greek word love, agape. And if you know the Greek language, perhaps you know that they had a few more words for love than we do today. We just have love in English. But in Greek, you had eros, which is romantic love. You had phileo, which is brotherly love. You have storge, which is family love. But here in this verse is the greatest of all the loves, and that is agape, sacrificial love, selfless love, agape. Your agape love must be sincere, Paul is saying. And actually, again, in the original language, that word for sincere is actually anupocytos. Pocytos, you might hear, is our word in English for hypocrisy. Your love, this agape love, ought to be without hypocrisy, Paul is saying. And that's incredibly important to just consider and, and, and weigh for, for a moment here. Um, I think many of you probably learned... In school, You probably remember uh, the, the origins of our English word hypocrite. I know a lot of curriculums actually touch upon that. It's a very rich uh, uh, forming of this word. Uh, it comes from, of course, the time when the ancient Greeks were doing theater. Uh, the, the word literally is, was translated uh, for a hypocrite was an actor or a stage player. But the, the word in its more literal sense uh, means an interpreter from underneath. The Greek word means interpreter from underneath. And if you remember or you had this lesson back in the day, you know that these ancient Greek actors wore these big masks to really characterize emotions, happiness, sadness, anger. And so this kind of interesting word in the Greek language, an interpreter from underneath, is kind of bizarre until you realize that it's referring to that stage play and these actors kind of performing underneath, interpreting what their character they are portraying. Uh, And so it's not a long jump, therefore, to understand where our word for hypocrite comes from, right? And and an English uh, uh, dictionary uh, that I found put it this way, a person who acts in contradiction to his or her stated beliefs or feelings. I wonder if I were to take a poll today and ask uh, what comes to mind when I say the word hypocrite, uh, how we would answer that question. You know, many of us would probably say things like, you know, a slimy politician, maybe, an immoral church leader uh, maybe our boss I mean hopefully not Um, Paul is saying in this very pride of place pivot from the theology into the practical he's saying our love must be without hypocrisy so then why is it that so many Americans want nothing to do with the church or are leaving the church in greater numbers than ever before precisely because of quote hypocrisy in the church did you know that like, that's actually the number one reason people are leaving the church or wanting nothing to do with the church in America today. Uh, and you know what? You don't need to look at the survey and the data to understand that. Um, you can just have conversations with people outside the street, but perhaps that's the reason why you're, you haven't been to church in a while or whatever the case may be. Uh, the number one reason, I always share this in Welcome Lunch, but the number one reason people leave a church, hypocrisy in the church, number two is an air of moral superiority in the church. I take that to mean self-righteousness in the church. And the third one is judgmentalism in the church. Which those last two, so self-righteousness and judgmentalism are, are interesting because those are essentially two variations on hypocrisy. Hypocrisy is the reason everybody's leaving the church and wanting nothing to do with it in America. And yet it teaches so clearly that our love might ought, not to be, uh, with, ought to be without hypocrisy. Um, you know, The way I think of it, uh, as far as our vision and our values and what we're trying to be about here as a church, is as tragic as that is, as tragic as it is that people are leaving the church for this reason, they see the church to be a bunch of hypocrites, as tragic as that is, that's actually also our opportunity. And the reason for that, the reason it's our opportunity, is because Christians ought to be the last people on the planet who are hypocrites. I mean, it's built into the scriptures. If this is who God is, Romans 1 through 11... Here's what it ought to mean when it comes to our horizontal relationship. The first thing said, our love must be without hypocrisy, must be sincere. Being Christian does not make you a better person. Being a Christian makes you forgiven. Being a Christian makes you a recipient of God's free grace. And the whole gospel helps us understand the importance of taking this seriously and actually gives us the antidote to start to begin to live it out. More on that in a second. But when you, you take into consideration why Christians ought to be the last people on the planet to be hypocrites, we've got to remember the context, okay? So Romans 1 through 11 is the theology. It's who God is and what he's about in order for why we ought to live this way, why our love ought to be without hypocrisy. And in Romans 1 through 11, there's this chapter, Romans 3, where Paul doesn't mince words and says everybody doesn't kind of sort of miss the mark, but is dreadfully sinful You can actually look at it. We'll put the words up on the screen. There's no one righteous, not even one. And, you know, it's worth saying that Paul, by that point in his letter, by Romans chapter 3, has very explicitly been making the case, and you know what, Christians, Roman Christians, and all Christians who are ever going to read this letter, that means you and me. It's not just people in general. It's everybody, including Christians. There's no one who's righteous, not even one. There's no one who understands. There's no one who seeks God. There's no one who does good, not even one. It goes on to say things like their throats are open graves, their tongues practice deceit, ruin and misery, mark their ways. All people have fallen short. You know, uh, the prophet Jeremiah at one point put it this way. uh, Our hearts are deceitful above all things and beyond cure. And so when Paul says love must be sincere, love must be without hypocrisy, as tragic as it is that people are rejecting it, it's actually also our opportunity because we ought to be the first to acknowledge we don't have it right. We ought to be the first to recognize our own need for the heart of the gospel, and that is God had to send his son into this world to die for us sinners. Um, and really, to me, that's the antidote. That's the antidote. It's, it's, and, and really, taking seriously this command that love ought to be sincere, the key to this is to, is to own our faults, is to recognize and acknowledge where we don't hit the mark well. And so let me actually ask the question, uh, how are you at owning your faults? Or maybe even to get more specific, when was the last time that you could remember where you owned a mistake or a failing of yours? Um, I wonder, you know, if you're a roommate, uh, if that happens on a regular basis, you're you're on your, on your team with coworkers, do you, admit your fault Uh, for those of you who are married are you admitting your fault are you acknowledging where you missed the mark because here's the logic of this okay let's not let's not miss this the logic of this is if we are not owning our faults or we can't remember when the last time was that we owned our fault uh we're missing something here because you don't have to be christian or religious to understand the human nature and that is we all mess up all the time I actually, uh, this is not in my notes, but I finished this last week uh, the book, East of Eden. Have any of you guys read that? John Steinbeck is a really fascinating read. And uh, part of what that book, it seems to me, is about is just how uh, we all wrestle with good and evil inside of us. Like all of us. Even people who are quote unquote good have plenty of evil and make mistakes and all that sort of stuff. And not just kind of make mistakes, like mistakes that really hurt people. And people who are quote unquote more evil have the chance for good, but really they tend to veer more towards evil than good people towards. All that sort of thing. And You don't have to be religious or Christian to understand that we're broken people, that we're going to make mistakes. But Christians of all people ought to lead out by saying, you know what, we don't have this worked out. We need to be acknowledging and vulnerable where we missed the mark. That to me is the key. That to me is the antidote of this very important thought of our love must be sincere. Our society is absolutely starving for authentic love. Wouldn't you say? I mean, even this... Last week or so, I was on social media, which I'm on less and less these days, but I saw a post, I can't remember the exact post, but somebody kind of shared vulnerably they had a hard day, they didn't get like the job promotion they were going for, and I was like, oh, that's different than <laughs> the social media I usually am looking at, and then I clicked on the comment section, which is never necessarily a good thing, but in this case, it didn't be a good thing, and there was just comment after comment, like after like of people saying, oh my goodness, thank you so much for sharing that. I had a rough week this week, and that was just really refreshing to me. That. That to me is kind of, I don't want to say trivial because, I mean, what they went through is hard. But that on the, on the principle side of things, a trivial example of, man, people are starving for authentic love. And there's a real power for those of us who are Christians to go ahead and just own where we make the mistakes and vulnerably just acknowledge it and live from that. There's a real power there that our society is craving for, that, frankly, you and I are craving for. Now, this last spring, I was out on the baseball field coaching uh, and for those of you guys who were, who were um, with us uh, before our sabbatical at Cindy and I just got back from uh, a few weeks ago, uh, you know that I was really tired this last springtime. I was planning for sabbatical, and whoa, hey there. Um, uh, we got here today, and the, we were having technical difficulties with lights, and this, the team has been working this whole time to try to get it going. Can we thank these guys? Really appreciate it. We were in the light. All right, anyways. Um, I was really tired this spring. <laughs> I was really tired this spring. Out on the baseball field, you know it's the classic thing where you sign up to be an assistant coach, and then, you know, the league wraps you. They says, oh, that's great. We'll make you head coach. All right. And so, you know, I've been just out there coaching everything in which way they, they give you other teams to coach. So I was just, long story short, I was really tired, and in a really tiring season of my life, um, and I was trying to shore up what little energy I had for the church, And but I was out there in the on the field, just doing the best I can. What I'm trying to get at is I was making a lot of mistakes out there, logistically, relationally. uh, And I was finding myself apologizing like way more than my average amount. You you know what I'm saying? I just, I was dropping all these balls and with other coaches and parents and that's what I was just constantly, I'm so sorry. I didn't mean, you know, that's the kind of where I was at. And I was uh, thinking about it not too much after the season ended. I realized, actually, it seems to me God used that for a for really cool purposes, because um, I looked back on it, and while I definitely regret dropping balls and, and making mistakes and all that sort of stuff, um, I feel like the Lord actually used it to, interestingly enough, deepen relationships I had with folks out in the community. Does that does that make sense? Like, I feel like it was almost because of my failures and misgiving and actually having to ask for help and ask for like I'm you know forgiveness or whatever the form it took. It like people. I mean, I had other coaches, grown men saying, oh man, yeah, I do that too. It's like, that's really effusive for dudes. You know what I mean? It's like bust out the Kleenex box when people share like that on the baseball field. It's like, but it's just relationships got really, and I got deeper. I've been, had relationships with you guys for years and years, and yeah, it's like now we're like a lot closer. And it seems almost precisely because of just opening up and just, man, I don't know what else to say, but hey, I'm sorry I've dropped the ball. Is this, is this tracking? There's a real power in love that's sincere and the antidote because we're so broken is just to acknowledge and own it when we, when we mess up can you do that in the workplace i'll tell you what those of you who are married if you inject even a seed of this into your marriage it will work wonders because by the way your spouse or roommate or coworker they already know you're messing up you know what i'm saying but to and here's what's incredible is when we do this, it authenticates the message. Not that God needs us to authenticate his message. Okay, don't, don't misunderstand here. But he includes us to point others to Jesus. And how that plays out is us just going and saying, yeah, I am a hypocrite. I, I, I believe this. I ought to do this. And I didn't hear. There's so much power there. So what we're called to agape must be without hypocrisy. Um, and so what are ways that you could step into that, even this week? I mean, it reminds me of what Paul says elsewhere when he says, it's in our weakness that his strength, God's strength, is made perfect. We live in a Silicon Valley culture, you know this, that if anything tends to puff its chest out and say, look at me, look what I've accomplished. But Christians, brother and sister, we're called to live with sincere love, which goes, it's not about me, it's about what he's done for me and what I've, I've just had the privilege of being able to receive. All right, so how does this play out? Um, There's so much in this text, even these short few verses that we had read, but we'll just touch on what we can. How does this play out, living authentically? How do we do do it? Paul fleshes it out a little bit in these these verses. He says, love must be sincere. Hate what is evil, cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in love. Honor one another above yourselves. Okay, let's look at this this quickly. Uh, Verse 10 says, be devoted to one another in love. Again, I think the original language uh, has some really rich thoughts here to kind of uh, pull it out a little bit. So this love, when it says, be devoted to one another in love, this love is not agape love. This is Philadelphia love. This is, this is the brotherly love. This is the sibling love. So be devoted to one another in this sibling-type love. And then this word, to be devoted, is actually a compound word in the original language. That is the compound words of philia, Philadelphia, philia, philia, and storge, If you remember from moments ago, that's the family love. So be devoted to one another is brotherly love in a family way. Be devoted to one another in this brotherly love. I can't belabor the point here. What Paul is saying is how this is played out is we love each other, Christian brothers and sisters, in the local church as family. That's how it plays out. Our love must be sincere, and that plays out as we love each other as a family, now what form does that take? We could spend so much time talking about this, but let's just take take uh, at least one thought here and, and play with it. Um, this is really radical, but like families, families don't choose each other, right? It's like one of the f- few relationships of love, really, where you don't choose the other person. Friends, you choose. You know what I mean? Like you know, significant other, you choose. But family, you're just stuck with them, right? In fact, I had a former pastor who used to say. Uh, and oftentimes, actually, most often, the people who are in your family, say siblings or whatever, are not the people you'd have chosen to be friends with had you not been linked with them in, in a family uh, environment. Um, and so, this is really incredible when it's played out in the church because we are linking ourselves, like we talked about last week, in a community that's accessible. Open arms, you know, come as you are, that kind of thing. Outward focus, meaning not just here as people come in. And then we're saying we're being devoted historic, in brotherly love. We're, we're committing ourselves to one another. We're trying our best. And you know what? It's not, it doesn't mean that we're all going to be BFFs with everybody else in the room. right? But it means we look to care for each other, serve each other, because God's placed us in family. And yeah, that's going to be challenging sometimes. As it's also going to be really beautiful. But it's a call for us to love each other as, as family. And, you know, I... I'm just going to touch on this real briefly. We're going to hit on this more uh, next week. But a key way to do that in, in at Current is through groups. We're going to restart groups up here in a little bit. Some of that actually does take place here on Sundays. But this is more of the large group corporate setting. Like when the church was first forming in the book of Acts, after Jesus ro- uh, died and rose again, the church was first forming. It would meet out in the, the colonnade area, we're told, where thousands would meet. And then they would also meet, we're told, in small homes. So there's these basically small group gatherings as well so we we'll are going to be talking about those in a little bit but we encourage you to think about ways to get connected I just want to say something really quickly by way of application and thought before moving on in terms of what this means to live as a family because it seems to me uh, there's a real strong temptation in the church in America to not be devoted to one another <laughs> love you guys love you guys Boy, that made that more dramatic. <laughs> uh, to not be devoted, here's, here's how that takes place, okay? Uh, first of all, it's real easy, and I know I'm speaking a little bit to the choir here, since you're here. Uh, it's real easy, first of all, to not really ever make a church your home, okay? You just kind of go, in American Christianity, it's really easy. To, but then here's the other thing that, that, that can happen real easy, is we have an interaction that's not all that pleasant, because remember, people are people, starting with ourselves, You have interactions It's not really all that pleasant. We go, here we go, like, oh, i got to go to another church. Or I can't, I can't deal with that person. So-and-so said this and that. I, I'm done. Now, real quick pastoral sidebar. Sometimes, and there's a biblical principle, uh, precedent for this, sometimes it is good to move on. But sometimes, and that's rarely the case, the bigger principle over and over again is what principle we see here is be devoted to one another in brotherly love try to work it out you know and have other family members kind of help you help you work it out uh, we're we're called to be devoted to one another and i'll just say this because i don't want to just you know talk about the this in the negative form i'm so grateful for so many of you that call current home i mean it, it really, you guys are family and it's such a gift to get to do life with you let alone roll up our sleeves and and um, work for god's kingdom in the silicon valley so our One of our values, we see here in Romans 12, is to be authentic. Another one is to be generous. We aim to be a community that's generous. Verse 13 says, share with the Lord's people who are in need. Practice hospitality. And actually, if you look back up at verse 8, that was just before the verses that were read, uh, Paul says, if your gift, meaning your spiritual gift, is giving, then give generously. Share with the Lord's people who are in your practice hospitality. If your gift is giving, then give generously. One of the things the scriptures brings up all the time, and certainly this is true in the case of Jesus' teachings, is that how we use what we have, our resources, our finances, how we use what we have, have really reflects our hearts. In fact, Jesus put it perhaps most succinctly of all when he at one point says, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And so, therefore, it's not really surprising given the context here in Romans 12, which follows Romans 1 through 11, which remembers all the theology, what God has done for us, and he's shifting down to here, here's what this means. It's not surprising then that Paul goes, you know what, we need to talk a little bit about what you have. Because it's really important. So he says, share with God's people who are in need, practice hospitality. If your gift is giving, give generously. Now, Paul is talking about. Paul is talking about individual believers. The specific context, he's talking about spiritual gifts. Like, if you personally have the gift, spiritual gift of, of giving, give generously. Okay, so there's that. But there's also a principle, I believe, here that's, that's, that's also for, for us corporately, also for us as church. And the principle is the same. If you've been blessed, bless richly. If you have resources, give generously. I'll never forget when Cindy and I went to a church planning assessment uh, down in SoCal. Uh, church planning assessment is for couples generally who are looking to start a church and they just want to kind of submit to some, you know, people who've gone before, other pastors, other people who've started churches, counselors, that sort of thing, uh, whether it's an organization or a denomination or whatever. They just kind of put you in a fishbowl for like three to five days, look at your marriage, look at your vision, look at your financial plan, look at everything, okay? And I'll never forget, there was at one point, we were doing this with a number of other couples, and they had us giving uh, financial pitches. Because if you're going to start a church, chances are you're going to have a part-slash-full-time job, fundraising, especially in the early days. And so they, we, they had us do these fundraising pitches. I can't remember what we shared, Cindy and I shared. I can't remember. I could look at my notes and find it. I can't remember. But there's this other couple that was sharing their their vision and, and, and how their financial pitch for starting a church, specifically in a part of L.A. that was... that that's it's poor, It doesn't have a lot of resources. And I can't remember exactly what they said, but I remember being struck in that moment. Uh, I like to think of it as a bit of a Holy Spirit moment, uh, for us actually collectively as a church, where I was listening to these guys, and I was thinking about, man, like they're, they're taking the gospel there, I was getting really excited for them. And as I, I was actually reminded of how, my, how the Lord called my parents to start a church in Berkeley, reaching college students. Uh, it's like financially, you got to figure out how that's going to work because it's like college students aren't going to help. My dad used to call it the perpetual miracle machine. Like 80% college students were like, "How's this still flying?" It's the Lord provided, but but I was thinking about I was thinking about that. I was thinking about this couple and where they were planning to start, and it, and it hit me. It hit me like, "Oh my goodness!" If we ever get up and running, and just so you know, that was a big if then. It would have to be a miracle upon a miracle. Man, I have, okay, I got to keep moving if we ever got up and running, part of our calling would have to include generously stewarding resources. Because if we're starting a church in Silicon Valley that's known for having the resources it has, it would have to involve a calling of stewarding those resources. Are you tracking? And that was coupled with the thought of, oh my goodness, and how cool would it be to see the Silicon Valley increasingly become known as a place that's generous, that there are generous churches using their resources to meet needs all around the world, I was like, oh, "That'd be cool," even as it's known as a little anti-Christian Christianity. Like that would be fun. Um, but that's what that's what our call is. Our calling is is to is to give generously. We want to be a community that's generous. And if you've been to Welcome Lunch, you know I love this story. But um, one of the uh, CEOs in there. the CEO of Intel now, a guy named Pat Gelsinger, Christian, uh, very generous with his resources, Uh, he at one point in an interview said, uh, if you look at the data, the Silicon Valley is essentially the richest part of, of the world, but he said of the U.S., according to certain measures, we're the richest part of the U.S., while also falling near dead last in per capita charitable giving. And he's just like, that means we're essentially the richest and most miserly people. You don't have to be Christian or religious for that to cut to your heart. We live in an area that has a lot of resources, and we are called current family to steward that out generously. We, we aim to be a community that's generous. Um, I'm really excited to uh, share today that the team's been working real hard, and part of this had to do with us getting back from sabbatical, but the team has been working real hard to find uh, tangible connections to help out with the, the the fire relief in Maui. I mean, the tragedy that struck there. I mean, we had, we had a leader uh, literally seeing the flames as they were leaving from vacation. Uh, there's another like C2 leader, 20 group leader, who I heard was get was supposed to be there now, but the, the, the home that they were gonna be in has burned down. And you know, that's just some perspective, right? And of course, we're talking about, for, from our humble perspective, it's like, you know, we, we see it as, oh, that's a nice vacation place, but for people on, on on the ground. I mean, it's just tragic what's happened. And so the team's been working really hard to try to figure out tangible ways to, to give back. And uh, this last week we had the opportunity to give uh, $20,000 to relief efforts over there, 10000 ten thousand uh, $10, each to two churches. The churches are Waipuna Chapel, and the other one is Harvest at uh, Kumulani. Uh, Waipuna Chapel has 14 families that lost everything everything. So it's, now look, do we give from a sense of on high? Oh, look at us, we get to give. Like, if anything, we've got to really root any possibility out of that heart. We give because the Lord's graciously given us to allow, allow us to give. We don't give so that if, heaven forbid, tragedy were to hit us, we would hope that people would bail us. We give because God first gave to us and he gave everything when he sent his son to this world for us. Who gave his life? We give because the Lord's blessed us abundantly. I would just say, thank you so much, current family, for giving generously. It's such a privilege to be a part of a church that gives so generously. I I think we've now—well, I know we have. Uh, This is a year ago. We crossed the have giving. Have we? uh, We've been able to give away over half a million dollars to things outside of our church walls. In fact. I'm referring to our impact fund that we do every year at the, at the end towards Christmas time to kind of raise. Those funds go to augment. 100% of that goes to augment what we're already doing in the community. So the number the number's higher than that. But I'm so grateful that we give as a current family at that time of year because it allows us to do things like when tragedy hits, pivot and make movements and be able to give and meet needs on the ground uh, relatively quickly, especially in the, in the, in the church world. Um, we're also excited Cindy had a pretty cool week. She's been connecting with uh, an organization in the East Bay that is combating human trafficking in the Bay Area. Uh, for those of you, who, for for those of you who have been with us for for a little while, you know we had a close relationship with a similar organization fighting human trafficking here in the South Bay. But sadly, they had to close their doors because of the pandemic. So we shifted to help an organization in New York. Well, Cindy had some really cool. She she. She was saying God conversations with an organization up in the East Bay that she might even actually be able to help make inroads into the South Bay, which I'll just leave it at this. Human trafficking is way more prevalent in this area, in this er- like specifically this area, than we could otherwise just touch upon on a Sunday morning. And so we're, we're hoping to have opportunities to give more towards that, partner with more groups like that. Uh, thank you for giving to the, the church. Um, when your generosity to giving to the church allows us as a church to see the life change that we've been seeing God do in and through people here. It's pretty incredible. We have some pretty exciting things on the horizon that we're hoping to multiply into, expand into. Uh, I'm going to talk more about this on our birthday, but the kids <laughs> the kids room is exploding, which uh, I was over there talking to the, gr- the group, and I kind of said that to the, the team of volunteers over there this morning in their huddle, and they're like, yeah, it's exploding. It's like, uh, we have this very good problem, stressing both the good and the problem side of things. I'm trying to figure that out, so we're, we're making plans for that. But we are just we got a lot of wonderful things that God is doing, which just means we've, we've got opportunity, but also need into the next season in terms of expanding and multiplying things. But I just want to say thank you for, for giving towards that. And there's opportunity to give if, if, if the Lord puts that on your heart. If your gift is giving, give generously. Share with the Lord's people who are in need. And then he emphasizes, practice hospitality Uh, again in the original language this word practice in our english doesn't quite convey the strength of it the word actually more literally means pursue hospitality it means deliberately seek out opportunity to be to be hospitable and um, uh, many of you are doing this is one of the things i love about the community here but this is a call to open up our homes and and invite people in Uh, as we begin to wrap up uh, actually uh, can invite the, the band up. We're going to be taking communion here in, in a moment as well, finishing our time in, in worship. Um, it struck me this past week that these two uh, values, authenticity and generosity, these two values actually strikingly go hand in hand, wouldn't you say? Because, for instance, in, in the in the practice of of hospitality, we're essentially opening up our homes in order to open up our lives, or the or the tangibly giving to uh, share with the Lord's people who are in need—that's uh, taking love from the intangible, the thought, the feeling, into the tangible, into into deed and action. And so it seems to me no coincidence that these things go these go hand in hand. But the the biggest thing I'd say as we as we conclude our time together is we've got to remember that this is all possible because of all possible because of what Christ has done for us. Because here's to me. The worry I have with a message like this. It's really easy to hear the teaching and and hear the, the scripture read and be like, man, I love that. I'm inspired. I want to do that. Live authentically, be generous, count me in. It's really easy to do that and yet not really change all that much because if we wrestle a little more deeply with what Paul is calling us to, we realize that this is actually a challenge. It doesn't necessarily just come natural for us to love authentically and to live generously. That's why we need to remember that this all goes back to what Christ has done for us. Christ died to allow us to be authentic. He died when we were hypocritical. The way the scripture says he died when we were still sinners, which is why we can own our failings. Why we can own being hypocrites. It's why we can go ahead and just assume and have the life posture of even where we don't see it we're probably living contradictory to what we believe and stand for it also means we can own it because we don't just kind of wave it away but we go Lord would you please root this out of me we're authentic because Christ died to make us authentic give us that opportunity and then we're generous because Christ died to make it possible for us to be generous there's one verse in the Bible that I don't really have to say anymore but Romans 8.32 Succinctly says, he who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also along with him graciously give us all things? If God has given us everything in Christ, then we can begin to give generously to those who are in need. These are our two values, two of our values here at Current. We want to be a community that's authentic. We want to be a community that's generous. And we'd love to invite you in on that. Let's pray. Father we really are thankful as we think about our response to you we're really thankful who, for who you are and what you've done for us all of this is possible because of what you've made possible I mean it, it's, it's mind boggling to consider how you sent your son to this world authentically to live vulnerably among us to be impacted by sin and yet to be, remain pure and to die on the cross to take care of it for us and generously giving not just provisions to us, but really your life blood as we're going to remind ourselves as we drink the juice and eat the bread. And remember your body broke and your blood spent for us in communion. Thank you, Lord. Would you help us be a church that leads out in these things? Not that, not that we haven't figured out, but we just long to see your kingdom come, your will be done. We pray in Christ's name.